This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 134, Terry Schneider, the queen of endurance sports, has a new book called Dirty Inspirations. Looking forward to this one. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a really fun show with Terry Schneider, and I'm going to tell you a lot more about that here in a few minutes. But first, we are looking for college students who would like to be Adventure Sports Podcast ambassadors on their campuses. You could consider this a, uh, a mini internship. Perhaps you're a marketing student and you would like to get some experience doing this. We uh, will make it worth your while. And if you have an interest in doing this for us, that'd be awesome. Please contact me. You can email Kurt at adventuresportspodcast.com or you can go to our website, www.adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button. Either way, you'll get through to us and we'll fill you in on the details. But it's a neat opportunity for a college student and we would love to be able to get the word to all of those adventure-loving college students all across the USA and elsewhere. So, hey, let us know if that sounds like something you would be interested in. Also, I wanted to remind all of our listeners about Liz Thomas's new Through Hiking 101 course that she's doing with Backpacker Magazine. This is a powerful 101 training online that will teach you all the details for a thru-hike, Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, Continental Divide Trail, John Muir Trail. It doesn't matter. She's hiked them all, and she's an expert, and she can save you a lot of time and energy and make your thru-hike much more successful. So, hey, give it a shot. You can find more information by going to www.tinyurl.com forward slash thru-hiking101, and the through there is T-H-R-U. Once again, that is tinyurl.com forward slash thruhiking101.com. You can also get information by going directly to Liz's website at www.eathomas, that's eathomas.com, or of course you can go to Backpacker Magazine and find it there as well. So Liz, good luck with that. I know that the course is awesome and very valuable for people that are considering such a large endeavor. You know, another goal of ours for 2016 is to connect with you, our listeners, more. So please do be in touch with us. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, you can always go to our site, click Contact Us. You can also send a email to info at adventuresportspodcast.com or Travis at adventuresportspodcast.com, or Kurt at adventuresportspodcast.com. I think there's a rhythm here, you know, how to reach us. So not too hard. We love to hear from you. We recently got a comment on the Phoenix Multisport edition that we did, which was episode 131. Great show, very inspirational, lots of great thoughts. I have to go back and listen again when I'm not working out to capture a few of them. I became so lost on the goal setting that I forgot how much I loved just being out there. The path is the goal, not just the summit. Something I need to keep in mind myself. Once again, that was on episode 131. Thank you very much for the comment. We look forward to hearing from all of you. Give us a shout. 
Well, that kind of wraps up the details for today. College students, get in touch with us. Kurt at AdventureSportsPodcast.com. And now on with the show. Today's guest is really a unique person, and I, I say that because, you know, sometimes on our show, we interview people that are adventure sports enthusiasts. Sometimes we interview people that are coaches. Sometimes we have the wonderful opportunity to interview what I consider an adventure sports god, and today we have one of those superhuman-type adventure sports goddesses for you. Terry Schneider is an adventure sports endurance sport just amazing person. She she was on the Eco Challenge. She has done 22 Ironman triathlons, and she had 10 years of pro triathlon experience. She now coaches endurance athletes. She does a lot of public speaking and writing, and she does sports psychology counseling and continues to enjoy endurance sports. Terry, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here, Kurt. So, Terry, I... I told you before I started, I have a really hard time encapsulating all that you've done because you've done so much. If people go to your website, which is terryschneider.com, and that's Terry with an I, Schneider is S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R. If you go to terryschneider.com, you can see all that she has done and is doing, and her resume is exhaustive. It's wonderful. So, Terry, fill us in. Yeah. Um, you know, I started doing sport when I was pretty young. I was about 10 years old, which was quite a while ago. I started as a runner and doing a program here in California called um, Junior Lifeguards, which I grew up at the beach in Santa Cruz, which was really fabulous. And that kind of evolved into um, triathlon when I went away to college, which is really when triathlon was kind of just getting started in the world. So the early 80s, I did my first triathlon, did uh, my my first Ironman after doing a few triathlons and graduated, got a couple jobs, and then decided to race pro as a, as a triathlete, which was a pretty big push to do. So I quit my job and decided to give it a shot and ended up racing for 10 years as a professional triathlete, which really is what kind of launched me into doing quite a bit of traveling. Traveled around the world, mostly doing Ironman races and um, in 1995, Mark Burnett brought the first Eco Challenge to the United States and adventure racing to the United States and to the world via television. And I did that first race in 1995 in Utah and, and then went on to do seven more Eco Challenge events and many other adventure races around the world. While I was adventure racing, I ended up dabbling in mountaineering and ultra running and a bunch of other stuff and just really realized there was a big world of endurance sport out there, and I wanted to try and experience everything. So I've kind of been doing that ever since. All kinds of events, um, personal adventures that I create on my own, or um, just kind of fun outings with buddies. But it's it's expanded and grown and, and continues to uh, keep me keep me pretty psyched. Well, it sounds like an amazing experience, and I I just have to. To mention, I love the phrase where you said, so I quit my job and went pro, and right there, you got me. I'm like, all right, how did this happen? I want to know more about that. What, what did it feel like to walk away from the job and say, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this full time? 
Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty pragmatic person, so I don't tend to do things really spontaneously. And that decision wasn't spontaneous. It was something I thought through, you know, just like any person who starts a, a business, you have to have a plan and you have to be realistic about um, options if your plan doesn't work out. So I had set myself up to try racing pro for two years and see how it went financially to see if I could support myself. It was difficult. I mean, triathlon is a minor sport still. There are much more opportunities now, I think, for people to make a living if they're if they're savvy enough. And part of racing professional in a minor sport is learning what that means. You know, it's not just being an athlete. It's about developing relationships with sponsors, going over and above just racing well to please your sponsors, the media, all of that kind of stuff. So it was a learning process that I enjoyed going through and figuring out how I could make it happen. You know, the, my, my motive really was what a lot of endurance athletes motive is, which is I was really interested to, to set myself up so that I could test my body in an uncommon way and see how far I could take it. And at the time, I mostly focused on longer distance events, Ironman in particular, and I really wanted to see how how fast could I do an Ironman? You know, how far could I push my body with this body and this mind? How far could I take it? And um, that was my goal, and I worked really hard to make it happen. I didn't I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't get rich, but I was able to make enough to support myself and um, kind of work the sporting system in a sense with sponsorships and endorsements from and endorsements from events and different kinds of promotional things to be able to eke out um, a pretty awesome 10 year stint in the sport. So I feel really, I feel really fortunate. I really do. I mean, I worked hard, don't get me wrong, but to be able to have that opportunity to really go after that kind of a dream and play it out. um, What I feel like it was a, an exceptional experience. And I look back really fondly on that, on my time in triathlon. Definitely. I really appreciate your candidness with us there and the the opportunity to do something that you love to do and to experience life large like that. Not everyone gets that opportunity. I think most people can take that opportunity, but it does take that planning. It takes right time, right place sometimes. Mm. And uh, congratulations, kudos to you for pulling it off. Very Thank cool. You. Yeah. Adventure racing. Um I think most of people are are familiar with adventure racing from the Eco Challenge and things like that. But give us just a real quick summary of what adventure racing entails. Adventure racing is a, a team sport. Generally, um, a team is navigating with a map and compass and el- altimeter through wilderness areas to checkpoints uh, along the way, passport control points or whatever the event calls them, and ultimately to a finish line um, doing different types of sports. So usually a, a, a shorter event is going to have at minimum hiking slash running, mountain biking, some kind of ropes, you know, course or ropes type work and some kind of paddling or, or, or water sport. An expedition length adventure race, which tends to last, um, anywhere from six to 10 days usually will involve much more than that. And obviously much more difficult terrain, a broader spectrum of, of um, distance covered. So adventure racing, I think one of the things I like to say about it for people who aren't really aware is it is 
on the outside, it appears to be a physically grueling sport, and it, it indeed it is. It's one of the most difficult things I've ever done. But I think the thing that people don't really realize about adventure racing is it's very intellectual. There's a lot of team strategy involved. There's a it's an enormous thinking man's game. There's decisions made on the fly, minute by minute, as you're going through a race, and that I think is what pulls in a lot of athletes. They realize that there's a, a huge intellectual component to the racing, and that's interesting and uh, and novel, I think, in endurance sports. So it's definitely one of the things that pulled me in. When I got my master's degree in sports psychology, I ended up doing my master's thesis on ad- risk-taking and adventure racing because risk was interesting to me, and I wanted to get into the heads of the top athletes like myself. And the other thing I studied when I got my master's was team dynamics, because that whole arena was really new to me coming into adventure racing as an individual athlete. And all of it just uh, really captured my attention for almost 10 years. Well, it is fascinating. And our listeners may or may not know what kind of distances we're talking about here. But these races last for, you know, not hours, but days yeah. And uh you you run on very 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 little sleep to try to uh get the best times in of course. And we're talking about distances that are are crazy. Tell us just some of the numbers. In expedition racing, generally, you know, I'm kind of I'm generalizing obviously. The distances you're going to cover are going to be anywhere from 3 to 500 miles, something like that. Now, really for a week-long race, it doesn't sound like that far. But, um, I mean, maybe to some people it does, but you're also doing it, um, in very difficult terrain. So there's enormous amount of bushwhacking and crawling and climbing and all kinds of crazy stuff to, to get through those, those miles. So it's, they're not easy miles generally, you know, depending on the event and the race promoter and kind of what they're putting out there. It's, 500 really hard-earned miles. So um, kind of mind-blowing in a lot of ways. I mean, I look back on doing expedition racing, and and it was very, very exciting for me to revisit my time in the sport by writing this book and being able to go back and relive those experiences and my experiences with my teammates and, and what they really meant and how they kind of molded and shaped me as a person. It's 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 big stuff. Well, why would you encourage people to consider adventure racing or endurance racing as a part of their own lifestyle? I don't know if I would I don't know if I would encourage people so much as I think adventure racing is something that someone has to come to. That's my opinion. I mean, I think shorter events like, you know, one day races are are definitely for the taking for just about anyone if someone has a desire to do it. But I, I I've always believed that Adventure racing has to be a sport that someone comes to. Someone looks at it and says, I want to do that. And I want to, I want it bad enough to where I'm really willing to put in the time to learn the skills to take it on and to, you know, go through the time of putting a good team together and, you know, spend the money to pay the entry fees and the traveling to really make it happen. It's a really huge commitment to get involved in adventure racing. I think someone has to want to do it. You know, it's not something I sell to people. <laughs> you know, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's something you have to really feel passionate about. You know, that said, you know, people don't have to be elite athletes to enjoy adventure racing. It's for everyone, but it's also it's for everyone who feels a draw to do it. Mm. 
Well, I kind of focused in on the adventure racing because I think it might be what people probably know the least about. But let's talk briefly about your Ironman career, these triathlons. So contrast for us, an Ironman triathlon with an adventure race. How are they different? In the two sports, the similarity is that they're both endurance races. And therefore, what that entails is an an endurance fitness component as well as a psychological component to get yourself to the finish line. But in a lot of ways, that's where the similarities end because Ironman is mostly urban, supported, uh, very user-friendly. And really, the objective of the athlete is to get their butt to the finish line as quickly as possible while taking care of themselves. In adventure racing, there's a multitude of obstacles, in a sense, that are thrown at the adventure racer. The course, the different sports, all the gear, there's so much more involved in an adventure race. And it's also done in a wilderness environment. So you're doing multiple sports with a few other people and trying to navigate while Mother Nature plays her hand in how your experience ends up rolling out. So there's endurance involved. You know, the objective is to get to the finish line as quickly as possible in both events. And in a lot of ways, that's where the similarities kind of end. Interesting. So you've had an amazing career doing this stuff. And like I mentioned earlier, if, if people go on your website, they can see all the various races and events that you've participated in. And it's vast. Um, overall, has it been a good life? Is this the life you would choose to do again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have no question. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I sort of jokingly say to people is like, if I if I died tomorrow, I, I got I have no regrets. <laughs> it's been a good run. It's been a good run. And, and you know, I think I think part of the reason I can say that is because I've I've realized early on in my life that that was something that was important to me, you know, I, that I want to kind of capture my life and run with it in a way that feels really satisfying to me. And how, my, how I'm doing that now looks a lot different than it did a while back. But as long as I'm doing that, and as long as I'm working toward the things that are important to me, then life is really great. And, um, and so it's difficult, you know, life's tough for everybody. But I think as long as we're kind of being honest about what's important to us and making the choices that feel really authentic to who we are. That's all we can do. And if we can do that every day, then you can kind of lay your head on your pillow and go, it's good. Today was a good day. Tomorrow will be another one. It's all, it's all great. Yeah, I love your perspective. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events.
I want to know how you got started with the, with all of this. I mean, it, it's not like you are sitting at a desk job and suddenly one day say, I wonder if I could run 26 miles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is your story? Um, I mean, if you ask my mother, she would say I kind of dropped out of the womb and took off. <laughs> <laughs> so in, I, I do have to say that I, I definitely um, have a personality profile and, you know, some physical you know, genetic aspects that are sort of predispose me to being able to do endurance sport. So that's definitely something I've been gifted, not to say I'm the best out there, but more so um, I can endure pretty well and for a lot of different reasons. So I think, um, I think, I think that's kind of lays the foundation for it. The other pieces that have fallen into place for me have been um, a curiosity about how far we can push the human body, how far I can push myself. In an in, in a overarching manner, that's really what my book's about, is you're getting to kind of peek in my head and go through these journeys in my head and really see what that looks like for an athlete who is looking to try and push herself as, as hard as she can. I find it interesting, and and I have the drive and the work ethic to kind of go after the things that I want to that I want to go after. For me the whole process has been kind of kind of pretty boringly logical to be honest with you. It, you know, I I don't ha- I don't kind of stand around and go, "Hey, I want to do that." That sounds you know, I, I go, "Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, how am I going to make that happen?" You know, it's it's very methodical and I think it has to be that way. There has there's a planning involved. There's I want to get from here from point A to point B, how how am I actually going to make that happen? So I don't tend to spout dreams and throw them out into the universe. I, I'm pretty grounded in what would it take to make that happen? Do I want it bad enough? And if I do, then I'll do it. Then I'll do what it takes to make it happen. So it's it's been a, a steady process of kind of climbing and expanding a ladder of everything that I've done. And um, I think the thing, one of the biggest things I have in my in my favor is that I don't tend to think that we can't do something. What I think of is if I want to do it bad enough, how do I, what do I need to do to make it happen? So I'm not someone who goes, Oh, I don't think I can do that. Um, it's more, do I want to try? And if so, then what do I need to do to, to, to go after it? And then being okay, if it doesn't work out, you know, we, you know, life in life, we fail a lot and that's part of the deal and that's okay. So you have to kind of, take it as it comes and and play with it and be willing to to play be in that game. Now oh, that's neat. Um the your approach to it being uh more on the methodical side but saying do I want to do this? Then how are we going to do this? And then let's try to do this and keep trying until we sort it all out. I think that that's a that's a roadmap for success for anybody in any endeavor. I I completely agree and I it's something I share with my clients on a regular basis. You know, it's Whatever your dream is, whatever your um, idea of success for you is, let's sort out how to get you there. You know that that's that's not a that's not a pipe dream or you know some kind of ultimate altruistic vision. It's it's pretty grounded in in the reality of let's come up with a plan and make it happen. And I I totally believe that 
most people can do just about everything they want to do if they really set their mind to it. I know that sounds trite. People say it all the time. But generally in sport, it's kind of true, unless their body just can't handle it. That, that's a limitation. Our bodies are a limitation. The mind is, doesn't have any limitations. We, we create limitations in our mind, but there aren't any really. We create them. The body is really the limiting factor. So it's, you know, the sky's the limit as far as what, what our desires are. Then it's more about our training and fitness and logistics as, as to whether we can pull it off or not. Cool. Well, Terry, I want to dive into talking about your book because I think our listeners would really enjoy kind of getting into your head and and all the lessons that you've learned from all these endurance sports and adventure races. Um, before we do, though, I have to throw this question out because it's just one of my favorites. I always want to hear the story about when things went wrong, mm. right? There's got to be a great story in all of these adventures, probably probably several. Well, if you read the book, you're going to tap into um, a lot of that. And, you know, one of the things that was really important for me in writing this book, it wasn't about, oh, I've done all this cool stuff and I've done a lot of it pretty well and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my amazingly, awesomely successful experiences as an athlete. This, this book was about learning. This book was about falling flat on your face and getting up and continuing to move forward. I think that's that's a human experience and it's something that all of us experience and athlete top athletes experience that on a regular basis. So several of the stories in my book are definitely not events that I would put on my, you know, it, they wouldn't go at the top of the list of, hey, this is some really awesome stuff I've done as an athlete. Definitely not. They're they're failures in, in, in a lot of regards, but it was important for me to share them because I think those are the places where we can reap the most benefit about who we are. So um, I kind of want to leave it at that because I think there's so many places that where I've fallen flat and I highlight uh, several of them in the book and um, people have an opportunity for better or worse to get into my head and actually walk through those really tough tough events with me. Well, let's dive into the book a little bit. Um, give the readers or the listeners who are soon to be readers an idea of uh, what the book's really about. So the book is entitled Dirty Inspirations with a subtitle of Lessons from the Trenches of Extreme Endurance Sports. Sounds like that is spot on. What about Dirty Inspirations? <laughs> Where did that yeah, come dirty from? Dirty Inspirations is a um, kind of funny. It has been, um, you know, it has been... Um, thought of that maybe it's there's some porn involved there so it's definitely not which is i think is kind of funny dirty inspirations is the title of my blog and um i don't know where it came from you know when i first put my blog together quite a number of years ago it just sort of came to me that getting dirty is inspiring you know it's pretty base there's there isn't some kind of you know secret manifesto behind the title. It's really just what it sounds like, that dirt is inspiring. And I've found that in my life to play out. And the book explains that. The book really goes into what that looks like for me and how that plays out in my life. And so my blog is a lot about my experiences and what I've done and and um, hopefully is philosophical and inspiring and, you know, educational and, and whimsical and all kinds of other things that it, that it, 
that it can potentially be. So it's that's that's really it. It's uh, I thought it would be fun to play off of that. The other reason why that's relevant is that a lot of the experiences in my book in a in a much smaller version were at some point put on my blog. Not all of them, but many of them. So it kind of started as, hey, I'm sharing what I'm up to. And then the book became a really deep dive extension of that. That's neat. So if people already enjoy your blog, then um, they'll enjoy the book even more. Yeah, the book really takes it exponentially to a much deeper, deeper uh, level for sure. Well, I would like to go through some of the chapters and let you give, give us just a short summary of what it's about so that mm. people can get a feel for the content of the book. The first chapter is the biggest game in sport. Now, are you referring to triathlons here or the adventure races? I'm referring to um, what happens in our mind when we do endurance sport. Ah. So the biggest, game is, the biggest game in sport is our mental game, what we take to a race in our head. And what you, what I'd walk you through in that piece is a, a really pivotal season in my triathlon, in my professional triathlon career, and how that really changed how I look at who I am as an athlete. And also, what ends up happening as a result of that particular season is I kind of come to learning that for me to really know that how far we can take our our life as an athlete mentally, psychologically, I needed to leave the sport of triathlon and venture out into other things. And so that's sort of what happens in the book. So we start in the sport of triathlon. It's a, 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 you know, involves injury and doing a lot of really specific mental training before I go into the Hawaii Ironman and have a, a, a really pivotal race experience there, which kind of launches me into doing all kinds of other stuff in my life. Neat. So the next chapter is Afraid of Fear. Everything you have here is so catchy. Afraid of Fear. <laughs> is this agoraphobia? <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, so one of the things that happened, that was the first Eco Challenge in Utah. And that was in 1995. And I was still racing triathlon professionally. And my boyfriend at the time and a couple of good friends decided we were going to do the eco challenge you know we didn't we didn't really know anything about adventure racing except what we had followed with the raid galois adventure race but we thought this looks pretty cool and let's give it a shot and we didn't really know what we were doing but we threw a team together and kind of organized ourselves in about three months time one of the things that i came upon really for the first time in my life was fear uh i was really terrified of doing all the rope work that we had to learn in order to do the event, you know, ascending, rappelling, traversing, things like that. So, and, and I couldn't, you know, fear to me wasn't logical. I didn't understand it. It gripped me physically. I couldn't figure out how to get through it. So in that piece, what I do is I walk through my experience with fear and where I, where I end up coming to is just being in the fear. But I think that the really beautiful thing for me in writing that piece is what really came up for me in that experience of being in the fear was that if we can do that as a person, if we're afraid of something, but we, we allow ourselves to just be in it, this is a beautiful thing that humans can do. You know, this isn't about conquering fear or, you know, feeling like we're some kind of a stud when we get through it. It's more just kind of going, Hey, look what I did. I, I, I was afraid and I did it anyway. And sometimes 
that's all we get. And that's a really beautiful thing. And so that's kind of ultimately what I come to in that piece. And it ended up, again, kind of launching me into, if I can do that, what else can I do? If I can walk through that, what else can I take on? And there's a progression that happens as we kind of move through the book. You know, on your website, there's a picture of a massive rappel down a waterfall. And as I look at that, I think, man, that must have been quite the experience. Can you tell us what it felt like to step off and to start down the rope? Yeah. What it felt like to be there and then what it felt like to get off the rope at the bottom? Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it's, it's a nice segue from what I just shared because the race when I was really afraid of the rope work was in 1995, Eco Challenge. 1997 Eco Challenge is uh, Australia Eco Challenge, which is what you're talking about, the big rappel in the photo in the book. And um, by that point, in adventure racing, I wasn't afraid of rope work anymore. I had figured out how to work through it. And I, what I learned is I needed to learn literally how ropes work, how anchors work, and how everything is kind of put together. I'm someone who, if I intellectually know how something operates, then I can understand it and trust it more. And so that's what worked for me. So actually stepping off onto that rappel, I didn't feel fear. It was ominous. It was huge. Our team was in first place. And, you know, all the media was on us and we kind of stepped off into the abyss. It was pretty cool. And uh, it was pretty cool to dangle there like an insect um, right in front of the waterfall. And at the other end, it was really slimy. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I remember. So trying to sort of climb up a a rock face in the slime was, was pretty tough. And but it was it was epic. It was definitely epic. And, you know, that particular photo is kind of cool because it, 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 it turned out they use it in a lot of um, American Express ads that talk about, you know, you, you know, you can get this, you can get this and this this is priceless, you know, is how much how much this stuff costs. So our our repel down the waterfall was the priceless bit in the ad. So it was, it's kind of fun to look back on how they use that. That's neat. I I love the picture and I I love waterfalls too. I think there's something so inspirational and calming and and fascinating about a waterfall. You know, we can intellectualize it and say, yeah, there's a lot of water that gravity's sucking off of a cliff. Yeah. But somewhere deeper, it, it turns into this feels different. Yeah. I the ground is shaking. You know, the air is is alive. And you know, there's always the mist and just the the sheer beauty and inspiration of it. There's just something magical about all that. I think it's amazing to go to such places like you have been to over and over and over again and to have life experiences like these. Really mm. neat. Mm. Cool stuff. I'm just going to ask you about the elixir because uh, it sounds like a drug. So we started with porn. Now we're... <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a drug. So the elixir... Um, was a really interesting piece for me to write. It was the last one that I wrote. And in it's it initially when I was putting it together, it felt the most emotional and difficult for me to write. And then once I started writing, it kind of flowed really nicely, partly because that particular event, Eco Challenge Australia, there was a lot going on personally for me, uh, for my partner at the time, David, and for our team going into that race. And we were struggling with a lot of personal issues. And Ultimately, what what happens, though, is I'm talking the elixir is confidence, which I believe is the driving force for any athlete. Everything we do in sport, everything we strive towards 
foreign sport psychologically, whether that's to be motivated or driven or, you know, induced with some kind of skill level that we need or, or anything that we, we go after is ultimately muted or fueled by our confidence levels. And I think confidence is a pretty powerful elixir. If we have it, it works for us. If we doubt it, it can shut us down. And one of the things that I'm talking about in that piece is where does, where does it come from? How do, we, how do we harness it? And how do we use it in our favor? Can it be okay? Can we still get through an experience if we're not feeling it? What does that look like exactly? So I, that's the ultimate theme in that piece. And, and, you know, as we're walking through the experience, there's a lot more that happens around that. But, you know, in the end, all the, the difficulty and the, the harshness, the, the personal harshness that my team goes through in that particular event, what happens in the end is that we all come out of it dramatically more confident and stronger. And, uh, you know, we could, you could say, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I suppose in some sense, that's kind of what I'm going after, but Mm. it's a, it's a tough thing. You know, one of my points is that confidence doesn't drop into our lap. I think it's something we have to go out really true, authentic confidence doesn't drop into our lap. We have to, we, we go out and we do things and then we let ourselves feel it or we don't. And how we carry that forward is really a choice. And I think to, to know that is to have a lot of power over how you experience your life. No, oh, that's really empowering. I had not thought of it in that way, but it is one of the advantages of adventure sports. You know, we do gain that confidence. We find out what we're made of, what we're capable of. And like you said, we can carry that into life in general. Um, yeah, well put. So I want to skip down through here. We have a lot of chapters. The one that's jumping out at me right now, chapter six, Lucid Insanity. Yeah, really fun. So Lucid Insanity is about uh, Borneo Eco Challenge. And what that piece is a little bit different than a lot of the others in that it's it's mostly a narrative. So I'm talking a lot about our experience racing in Borneo. And the way I, the way I describe Borneo is really this, this sense of um, lucid insanity. It's, I think that most people, even the locals would agree that the jungles of Borneo are not a place where humans can really reside for any lengthy period of time. And we experienced that when we went there, you know, you really got a sense of how kind of insane it was to reside in the jungles in Borneo and doing an event like a, like a expedition adventure race and really immersing ourselves in that type of environment created this kind of exultant insanity that was so fascinating, (laughs) you know, kind of freaky and weird and yet really, really interesting at the same time. And, um, I let that, I let that story really run. I don't do an enormous amount of kind of intellectual dive on it, which I do in most of the other pieces. I let that one go because I think it, it needs to just kind of uh, be in, in what it is, which is the experience kind of speaks for itself. And, uh, but that's sort of what came out of the experience for me. You know, it starts in when I, when I'm in a hospital bed, when I get returned from Borneo with, with leptospirosis and then kind of takes us into the, the tepid, warm waters and jungles of of borneo Hmm. that sounds a little uncomfortable very uncomfortable definitely and yet 
intriguing, uncomfortable, but intriguing. Um, if I, I would, I do it again. Absolutely. I would do it again. Definitely. It was worthwhile in every regard. Wow. Including well, two, the hospital uh, stay. <laughs> <laughs> there are two chapters here that, that have to tie into this suffer well and finding comfort in discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. are those about? Um, kind of, I think that in a way there's, they're descriptive, you know, that this, this idea of suffering, I think, is virtue. I think suffering adds value to our lives. And there's a lot of research that's been done on that. It's not just an opinion that I have. It's not just an opinion that endurance athletes have. I think people who suffer anything in our lives, and we all have experiences in suffering, realize the possibility of value that can come out of that. I don't think that suffering, you know, that said, I don't think that suffering has to have a negative connotation. And I think for endurance athlete, it absolutely, it doesn't have a negative connotation. There can be experiences where we suffer well, you know, that, that race in that um, chapter, that race is based in Tibetan Nepal. So I do the raid Galois with a, a new team in Tibetan Nepal. And we were racing, we were getting to a finish line. But for me, the event became a personal journey of suffering well from the minute I stepped on the airplane all the way through to uh, the finish line. And I explain why that's so. And a lot of it had to do with the culture, the geography, and ultimately how it changed the trajectory of my life, which is becoming intrigued with the Himalaya region and you know, now having gone back there um, about 10 times to do volunteer work in the area. So it, the, the, the suffering becomes suffering well because of how it fed into my life. And, uh, that's a, that was a fun piece. Cause I did there. You'll, you pick, you can pick up uh, a lot of my, I have a very irreverent sense of humor. I don't throw down in my book. I'm kind of feeling out the readers. If I throw down, I'd, I defend a lot of people how I normally would. But what I, you can you can start to get a sense of sort of how I see the world and a little bit about my irreverence in that. So if that's something that you like, that would be that'd be a good one to check out. Slow Boat to the Bahamas is a funny look at getting the sailing bug, preparing for, and going on the big trip with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. Linus Wilson recounts how his family sailed from New Orleans to the Bahamas in 2015. In its first week, Slow Boat to the Bahamas Kindle version was the number one bestseller in all three of its categories, sailing narratives, Bahamas, and cruises. And as you can tell from the podcast we had with Linus, this book's gotta be a hoot. Pick up your copy today. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small.
working my way through a book this week, and a highlight that I, I want to point out, because it's very applicable to what you just said, is an assertion in the book that suffering actually helps us to understand what we might want to call our true self more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we have all the distractions of the daily grind, and we have all the discouragements, and we get stuck sometimes in cycles of thought that uh, may not be all that exciting or inspirational or beneficial or healthy, but there's something about suffering that yep. makes us step outside of ourselves and begin to realize who we are as the observer, not as the experiencer so much, but how we can step out of ourselves and observe ourselves and and come into touch with that part of ourselves that's that's in a real way kind of beyond suffering. I think that um, I see it more as a we're, we're more deeply in touch, and within that, we have an opportunity to become the mediator, which is what you're talking about, stepping mm. outside. Yeah. And I think to be the mediator, to really be able to look at our experience from the outside and objectively, is to go deeper within ourselves. I mean, there's reasons why monks meditate in caves for extended periods of time. There's reasons why religious people go on pilgrimages where they're hiking or walking for extended periods of time. These are difficult things, and it it allows us access. I talk about that concept of access a lot in the book, that we're doing experiences that give us access to different parts of ourself that otherwise we don't have access to. You know, in our day-to-day life, we don't. You know, we're, there's so much going on. There's a lot of outside stimulus, and we're involved in that. And that's all necessary to do what we want to do in day-to-day life. But to truly have access to a deep well within ourselves, we need to put ourselves in, in a different space. And one of the spaces we can engage with is some kind of suffering. I think suffering gets a bad rap. You know, it's it, we, when we think of suffering, it's this really awful thing that we want to avoid at all costs. I completely disagree. You know, embracing suffering is a really beautiful thing. And if we do that, all of a sudden, this ability, like you mentioned, Kurt, of kind of stepping outside yourself and kind of looking, wow, look at that. Now, now I can look at something through a slightly different lens. Isn't that cool? To have that ability, we have to do something difficult to get ourselves to that place. It doesn't have to be physical, but it's something that's causing us to dig. And and when we start digging around, interesting things pop up, don't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've heard from many endurance athletes um, reflections on the experience that you're talking about. And they some of them cite it as the reason they do it. Mm. That is the reason that they do it, because they they go to a place they can't get to otherwise, where life is so real and they're so in the moment that it's uh, it becomes an essential part of who they are, and they have to yeah. revisit that, you know? And I think it's Absolutely. worthwhile. It's amazing. Absolutely. And it, it may not be an endurance sport that does that. Um, it can happen for anybody, but I would like to encourage anyone out there who is suffering, it, you know, we don't want to make light of it, but we want to point out that there's an opportunity there. If maybe maybe grab this book, read through it, and see if there's not an angle that helps you to view suffering from the outside and gain the, the value from it. I mean, the uh, last chapter, The Virtues of Enduring, I think mm-hmm. that might apply here. Tell us what that's about. Yeah, I'd like to—I'll I'll tell you what that's about. I'd like to make comment on what you just said, because I think it's a really important point. Um, one of the things I see a lot in people I coach or consult with is we need to be reminded of 
our strengths. And sometimes we can't see that. And I think, I think often reading a book or working with a coach or, you know, a lot of times our loved ones will encourage us, but we're, we're all real good at kind of poo-pooing them and going, yeah, my mom's supposed to love me. So her words don't really count kind of thing. But, you know, the thing I, I, I'd like to encourage people around if they're struggling with whatever suffering they're going through is, you're a lot bigger and stronger than you think. And we don't know that, but it's true. Now, how do I know that? Because I've seen it in myself, in clients, in doing sport the way I've done. I've been, ex- I've been witness to so many human beings digging to places that they never even knew existed. It's completely possible. And that isn't, that isn't sort of a, an exclusive club. It's there for anybody to take on, you know, whether you're suffering through, suffering through a personal loss or whether you're suffering through an event, it's, it's no different really. But what we do have to keep coming to is um, I'm, I'm in this and I can be in this. And if, if that's all you can get out of it, that's big, you know, it's, it's big to kind of take that on. So in, in my final, in my final story before the epilogue, I, I kind of, what I do is I pull a lot of pieces to the puzzle together. And in, in some ways, I'm, I'm summarizing the book in a lot of ways. What I talk about in The Virtues of Enduring is this, this uh, theme that I touched on a little bit earlier about having access. You know, what is sport given me? What are the virtues that endurance sport has offered me in my life? And I talk about you know, the, the essence of enduring what that's given to me in my life, what is competing given to me in my life and what is competing in wilderness experiences given me in my life. Those are all three really different things. And they've all offered up bountiful, um, um, harvest in a sense for who I am as a person. So it's, it's, it kind of, I kind of bring the book full circle before I sort of uh, head off into another another area of, of what I've been up to. <laughs> that's that's neat. Really, really cool book. I wish we had time to go into more detail on it, but I'm just going to tell the listeners, go out and buy it, because um, it's obviously full of story after story of inspiration and insightfulness that's oriented around adventure and endurance and endurance sports all over the planet. Um, how many countries have you been to now? Do you know what it is? Um... I think I think I've been to close to eighty, around eighty, something like that. It's quite a bit. <laughs> there's different, you know, ways you can kind of count that, and there's different websites. A while back, I did this, and it came, I, I was sort of shocked. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of gonna go back and count that, and it turned out to be a lot. And um, so, you know, one of the things that happens when you're racing too is that you're going through different regions or countries a lot of times, and you don't even really know and the navigator will go, oh, now we're in such and such a place. I'm like, oh, wow, really? That's interesting. So it, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I've been places where I didn't even know I was there. And, and it's, it's, it's been awesome. There's still some spots I haven't hit up. My, my list is really long, and I won't hit them all during this lifetime, but um, I'm going to give it a shot. So we'll see. Cool. Well, the readers can find the book where? Right now, the book uh, is predominantly purchased online, and, and most websites where you can get it, if you pre-order it, you're going to get some kind of a discount. So before January 26, you'll get a discount. So that's a nice incentive to to buy early. 
Um, I am doing a, a book launch and signing here in Santa Cruz, California on February 3rd. I'm really excited about that. And if you want to order a signed copy, you can order on, on uh, bookshopsantacruz.com. They'll be sending out uh, signed copies of the book. Bookshopsantacruz.com. Yeah. And you mentioned January 26th. Since this show is airing on the 25th, our listeners now have a uh, kind of a tight window, 24 hours or so to yep. uh, get the discount pre-ordered version of the book. Yep. So they can just Google that online? Yeah, they can Google it online. I mean, really, most people nowadays are buying their books on either Indie Books, which is what Bookshop Santa Cruz is working with, or Barnes & Noble, Amazon, kind of whatever your favorite you know, online poison is. You, know, it's, it's, uh, you can go on to just about any of them and you'll be able to find it there. And the book, again, is Dirty Inspirations by Terry Schneider. And I've been previewing the book, and I'm really enjoying it, Terry. So thank you for letting me have a, a sneak peek. Great. You know, I really, I also really encourage people to let me know your thoughts on the book. You know, what comes up for you? And, you know, how is this, how is this kind of shaken you in some way in your own life? That You know, one of the reasons I share my experiences, whether it's through speaking or writing or coaching, is I'm really interested in what other people are doing. I'm inspired by everybody going after, you know, their own lessons and dreams in life. And I would love to hear what people think of the book and and what you're and what you're up to. You know, what what kind of what kind of came out for you and what did it cause you to to lean toward? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, through my website. Which is terryschneider.com. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, that's Terry with an I, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R.com. And Terry, you have other stuff going on besides the book. Uh, you do public speaking. Mm -hmm. And if people are interested in having you speak, they should go through your website again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. And you do sports psychology consulting. So what is that? Sports psychology consulting, I work with athletes kind of on their mental game. And, you know, what comes out of that is many things. You know, it's it's pretty diverse, but I, I know that being effective as an athlete is all about what happens in our head. And I think that not only is working on your mental game, just like you do your fitness, will help you with performance, but will also help you learn about yourself and what you bring to the table. Um, so it's, it's exciting stuff. Well, after seven eco challenges, 22 Ironman triathlons and 10 years as a professional triathlete, I think that you probably learned a thing or two about that. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Terry, I wish we had more time because I could go on talking to you about the details of this book and the stories about your adventures for a really long time. So maybe we can have you on again soon, but Will you close us out with an, an inspirational story? Inspirational story. You know, I think I think I would. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement about something I'm involved with. I do I do volunteer work in Bhutan with the Bhutan Olympic Committee, and one of the things I've learned about volunteering, and particularly with the developing country, is you know there's a lot of people that are listening that do volunteer different types of vol volunteer work, and one of the things I think that we all know and that I encourage you to share with other people is how much we get back from our volunteering experiences and really, you know, setting ourselves up to give and how much we learn about ourselves from that. You know, I'm learning about how to be 
the human being that I really want to be by, by living in Bhutan and volunteering with them. And that's so invaluable to me. You know, I go there and donate my time, but at the end, they're the ones that are giving back to me. And I think that's a, I think that's a really beautiful thing. So I really encourage people to kind of step out of themselves and uh, look for that thing that you have a yearning to support and just go after it. There's a, there's so much out there. It's one of the beautiful things I think about the United States is we have so many volunteering opportunities here and it really helps people to just, just kind of see a bigger sense of who they are. Mm, beautiful. I love it. Well, Terry, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for your time as well. And until the next show, be sure to get out there and have some fun. College students, get in touch with us. Also, be sure, everyone, to subscribe, go to iTunes or Stitcher, rank and review. We really appreciate that. That helps to grow the show, and it helps us to get to the top of the rankings, which also helps to get the word out. Please help us do that also by telling all of your friends. We thank you very much. Take care.